Hey, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and today I am privileged to be able to share God's Word with you. And, and as we start, I wanted to do just a brief survey. So curious, how many of you traveled outside of Stockton this past week for Thanksgiving? How many of you? Okay, uh, about a third of you. How many of you are planning on traveling outside of Stockton for Christmas? Leaving the community, getting out of town. Congratulations. Um, how many of you had people over to your home for Thanksgiving? You played the hostess of the mostest, yep. Those are all those people that didn't raise their hands before. How many of you went shopping this past week? I went shopping. Woohoo! How many of you were brave enough to do the Black Friday early morning shopaganza? Yep, yep, a lot of you. How many of you, just curious, are already tired of Christmas? Those are the Grinches in church today. Um, and last but not least, after a quote-unquote Thanksgiving break, how many of you are tired and maybe even stressed as you come to church this morning? Yeah, it's interesting that we set a time aside to be thankful, um, but by the time it's over, we're just thankful that it's over, um, rather than just having a heart of gratitude. Um, we've moved into the craziest time in our calendar year, where we go from Thanksgiving to Christmas, and we don't stop there. We roll right into thanks, uh, New Year's. And the songs that we sing this time of year are so much fun. I love turning the radio to the Christmas station and, and t listening to whatever it is, and, and you hear, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And everybody gets all excited, and we're like, woohoo! And then you start to think about what this season means. It means shopping. It means decorating. It means making desserts. It means going to here, there, and everywhere. And so if you have a family, if you have a pulse, if you don't live under a rock, you look around and you say, there isn't time for us to be able to say this is a wonderful time of year. This is a stressful time of year. This is an overwhelming time of the year. And there's no way for me to sing songs, let alone slow down enough to be able to worship a Savior that came in the form of an innocent baby. Um, David, Dave Barry, who's a humorist, he said this about this uh, time that we try to do in December every year. He calls it straight madness. He says, think about this. We cram 80% of all of our parties for the year in just one month. And if we plan it just right, we can go to nine or ten parties in one day and not enjoy any of them. <laughs> he continues, he says, while we're at it, let's entirely redecorate our house inside and out for just three weeks. And he says, since we have plenty of time, let's buy a gift for every person that we've ever met. Let's consume three times the amount of calories that we typically consume in a month. And just for fun, just for fun, he says, let's, let's think of every person that we've ever known in our life and send them a letter making our lives seem greater than they actually are. Side note now, we do that every single day through Facebook and Distractagram as we want everybody in our life to think our life is better than them every single day, not just once a year at Christmas card time. Um, he continues, he says, oh, by the way, let's let the kids out of school for two weeks because that's pure genius. Uh, he says, let's plan every great movie of the year to come out during this two-week period so we can take those kids to the movies over and over. And to top it all off, we get to spend some time with some pretty quirky relatives this time of year. When you think about Christmas, do you think that we have it backwards? Is this the way that this season is supposed to be? When Jesus walked the earth, nobody would have ever imagined all of the hoopla and all of the attention that would have gone into Jesus' birth. 
I mean, think about it. When Jesus came in the form of an innocent little baby at Christmas time, the world in his day didn't stop. In fact, most of them even did, didn't even take the time to notice. But today, with all the parties and presents, with all the decorations and desserts that have to be made, we go through so much stress, so much expense to be able to celebrate the birth of our risen Savior, that when we stop and think about it, there's so much involved in this Christmas thing that there's really not much time or energy left for an actual Savior. See, we put our focus, we put our attention on the wrong things. We take this time that's set apart to mark the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind, and we turn it from looking at Him, and we put it on ourselves. So this morning, as a result of our focus being put on the wrong place, I want to try to refocus us. I want to take Christmas, and I want to turn it upside down. And I want to challenge you to look at maybe the ways that you're living your life Not as what God's word has to say about it, but rather what our culture has said that we should embrace or what we should live by. And what I want to do is I want to look at God's top ten list and look at a few ways in God's ten commandments that maybe we're ignoring those for the sake of more Christmas, more holiday, more celebrations. The number one item on God's top ten list says that you shall not have any other gods before me. It's followed right by the the second item that says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above, or that that is on earth beneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. See, at first glance, and you look at the first two commandments, you think, wow, that's super easy to follow. I mean, there's only one God, one true God, that's easy. And I don't know about you, but I haven't recently gone and carved a golden calf out. Um, I don't go in my kitchen and have a, a Buddha figurine sitting in my kitchen. But when you think about it, have we created gods? Little G gods? Have we created things that take our worship away from the one true God? That take all of our attention in this season more than God? When you think about it, how many people go to the mall and stand in line so that they can go and worship Santa Claus? How many kids have made an idol out of the mall Santa? Um, You might be thinking, hold on, Scott. It's all in good fun. It's magical. It's mystical. It's just all in fun. But how many kids will go to sleep on Christmas Eve believing that Santa Claus and his elves will make all of their dreams come true? How many kids are putting their hopes and dreams in this season in Santa Claus rather than in the God that literally breathed life into you and into me? I mean, think about this. You go shopping this time of year, and you can find every kind of Santa Claus you want. You can find a white Santa Claus. You can find a black Santa Claus. You can find an Asian Santa Claus. You can find a classic Santa Claus. You can find a hipster Santa Claus. And in Stockton, you can even find a ghetto Santa Claus. (laughs) But you look at all those stores, and you look up high in the rafters, and you see these inflatable Santas, Some of them with Santa with penguins. Some of them with Santa flying an airplane. Some of them with Santa standing there with the Grinch. But you have to try really hard in this time of year to find Jesus or anything with the nativity in it. So while it seems preposterous to think that Santa is an idol, in reality that's exactly what he's become. He's a trick of the enemy that has stolen the adoration and worship that should rightfully be given to the risen Lord who came to this earth as an innocent baby. 
And that's why I love this picture. This picture of Santa on his knees before Jesus. Because that's what this season is about. It's not about Santa. It's about Jesus. But I'm afraid that so many in our culture, and even more afraid that so many within even our church here, have crafted an idol not out of gold or wood, but rather out of red felt and a white beard, an idol that could really challenge the golden calf of the Israelites. See, now don't get me wrong. I don't want to play the Scrooge here. I love Christmas. In fact, I love decorating for Christmas. Our family tradition has always been the Friday after Thanksgiving, go and pull out all of the Christmas decorations. In fact, the Connor house was the first house in our neighborhood to have the Christmas lights up this year. Because I love Christmas. I love putting up the Christmas tree and, and handing all of our kids the ornaments and watching just their eyes as they see the lights on the tree and they hang ornament after ornament after ornament. It's so much fun. It's so exciting. But if we're not careful, that decorating can very easily become an idol. Just as the food, just as the presence can become an idol. And I don't want to camp on this subject too much. I don't want to be the Grinch. But I want to challenge you this Christmas season. Is your focus more on what our culture says is important? Santa Claus? Christmas tree, decorations, presents, desserts, parties? Or have you made the decision that for your family, for your home, that this Christmas season, that December 25th, and everything that encompasses it will be about Jesus? Because even though our culture has forgotten it, it is Christ that makes Christmas. Another way that we choose not to follow what God's teachings are this time of year comes in our desire for more things, for more stuff. The last commandment in God's top ten list says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. But I can't think of any other time of the year where we covet any less. This time of the year, it seems like all we want is more and more. You watch the commercials and you see that beautiful Mercedes on that lightly snow-kept driveway with the red bow on top, and you think, you know what? I want my December to be one to remember also. <laughs> or what about your kids or your grandkids? As they sit down to start to write their Christmas list, they write down every toy they could ever imagine. In fact, they write down toys on that list that they didn't even know existed before they sat down to write down that list. But because they know that toy exists, they have to have it. And then every year, there's that one toy. That one toy that every kid has to have. And you see people on the news that will go to great lengths in order to get that toy for their kids. It includes fighting for, stealing, bribery, because they know that if they get just that one toy, that their Christmas will be made complete, and then, and only then, will their child be content. See, Christmas gets us wrapped up in the pursuit of more. And it's the same for children as much as it is for adults. Look at some of these letters for Santa that I found on the internet. It says, Dear Santa, you know what I want for Christmas? I want a Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Collection. I really want it. I love how he continues. Because I want to impress the boys. Isn't it interesting that at Christmas time, 
Sometimes we want things just so that we can say to somebody else that we got it, even though we don't even know what it is. And he continues, he says, I want a go-go, my waking pup, and, oh, I also want a hamster. I love this next one. This person took all of the guessing game out of it for Santa. They took the Walmart ad and they put on exactly what Tammy wanted from Walmart. I love this next one here. It says, Dear Santa, for Christmas this year, I want a Droid 6010 smartphone from Verizon, just in case he was curious because she wanted it on the right carrier. She says, I have been very good, and I love this. I got honor roll at school, but honor was spelled wrong. <laughs> love, Yvette. And I love that she wants to make sure to get an extra little plug in there, and she says, P.S., Ben was good too. Please bring him what he wants. This one had to have been an adult. Dear Santa, I love Rudolph. This is proof. Bring me these toys. I will send the rest of him. Don't try anything funny and go down the list of Dance Dance Revolution. You see how the greed starts. Second, all the dolls in the world. Three, a new bike, of course, red. And finally, anything else that I want ever. I love this last one here. This had to have been an adult. Dear Santa, this year, please give me a big fat bank account and a slim body. And please don't mix those two up like you did last year. Uh, that one made me laugh hard when I came across it. <laughs> what happened to the simple life? What happened when Christmas was so simple? When did Christmas become all of what we can get? One dictionary describes contentment as the state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with the things the way that they are. But today, it's so rare for us to find people that are content with their condition in life. The Bible says that it has a great deal to say about contentment, about being satisfied with the way things, about what we have, about who we are and where we're going. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? In essence, Jesus is telling us, be content with what you have. Don't worry about everything else. Don't worry about the clothes. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about all these things you think that you need or that you want. See, contentment is especially hard in this season of Black Friday deals, of specialized marketing and online shopping. But yet, according to Matthew 6, Jesus is giving us a direct command not to worry about the things of this world. And he adds this only a few verses later in his famous Sermon on the Mount in, in verses 32 and 30, 33. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I love that first part there. It says, um, do, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Because our culture, our world is really good at pushing more stuff, more commercialism, more materialism. But by running after more, by running after more stuff, we're no different than the unbeliever that doesn't even recognize the reason for this Christmas season. The Apostle Paul, who suffered and went without so many comforts in life, more than most people could have ever imagined in that process, he discovered what true contentment was. Listen to what he wrote in the letter to Philippi. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any 
and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Yet our world doesn't say things like that. Our world continues to seek after more and more and more and more, never content with their lot in life. That's why I love what Solomon, the wisest and richest man to ever live, says in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. It makes me think of that bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys wins. Doesn't that just epitomize what our world has to say? About four months ago, uh, my family, we opened up our home and our hearts to a two and a half year old little boy. He's so precious. And as we went to go and pick him up, uh, my boys uh, took with them a little toy tractor to give him on his first day as he came to our family. And as we, we put him in the car seat, he held on to that little toy. And as we went from stop to stop, every time we pulled him out of his car seat, he held on to that toy no matter what. Literally for four hours, he didn't put that toy down. After a little bit of time, my wife took him and, and they went and they bought him a plush little donkey, a donkey, doggy. And uh, uh, this little doggy, cute little dog, stuffed animal. And he loves that dog. He doesn't come to us and ask for a different doggy. He doesn't ask for a bigger one. He doesn't ask for a different color one. No, he loves this little doggy. And every single night as we put him to bed, the first thing he does is he runs up to his little toddler bed and he pats it. And he looks up with such excitement and he says, Tyrese's bed. Because this is the first time he's ever had a bed in his life. And as he crawls into his bed, he pulls up his cover over him, and he grabs that doggy, and he hugs it so tight. And with eyes so tender, he looks up at myself and my wife, and he says, Tyrese's doggy. Because he's so happy. Because when we got him, do you know what he came with? He came with a Walmart bag with a pair of pajamas and a diaper. See, it's interesting that when you have so little, how much easier it is to find contentment in your life. And you compare that to kids. I compare it even to my own kids who have so much more than that and they struggle with contentment in comparison to their new little brother. The latest global statistics says that if one has a, a, a shelter, a roof over their head and a meal on their table, they're richer than 93% of the world's population. That if you walk from here to there and you have a pair of shoes on, that you're richer than 75% of the world's population. It's said that the average American household has $16,000 in consumer credit card debt. Did you know that for a laborer in Indonesia, it will take that laborer 21 years to earn $16,000? But yet we get to a time such as this, and we are so discontent with what we can buy and how God has provided for us. A side note here. Let me challenge you this Christmas season that if you don't have the money to go and buy whatever present it is that is on your list, do you really need it? It breaks my heart thinking about having to pay for Christmas in June and July when the lure and the excitement of that gift is no longer there, but the pain of that debt is like a monkey on your back. That's why Proverbs 22.7 rings so true. The borrower is the slave to the lender. See, God in his infinite wisdom never intended for us to be a slave to anyone, in particular to MasterCard or to Visa. Did you know 
that this Christmas season it is expected that the average household will spend between eight and nine hundred dollars for gifts this Christmas season. More money on Christmas in one month than many people give to the church or the ministry of the gospel in an entire year. I don't say that to guilt you. I don't say that to make you feel bad. I say this to challenge you. Pastor Brad read the verse just a little while ago. Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In the season of Christmas, is your heart for eternal things or is your heart for material things? Jesus instructed us in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 6 of Matthew. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So you have to understand, friends, that contentment is not something that the marketers are pushing. It's not something that you can open up the Macy's catalog or the Target advertisement and find it there. It's not something that on Christmas morning you're going to open up and say, yeah, just what I wanted, contentment. No, it's something that you have to seek after, and it's something that only comes from the creator of the heavens and the earth. So this morning, can I challenge you as your friend, as your pastor, to look at Christmas upside down, to look at it and say, okay, what ways am I making idols of things that God didn't create to be idols? In what ways am I living where I don't have a content heart? In what ways am I seeking after what more of what this culture has to say rather than being satisfied with the abundance in which God has blessed me with? And finally today, the area that I believe that more people have an issue with, especially in this Christmas season, and that is being too busy. The fourth commandment comes in as, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do any, you shall not do any work. See, our inability to take a Sabbath, our inability to slow down enough to rest in the presence of God is taken up because we are so busy as American Christians. Because we have bought the lie that we are so important, that we have things that have to be done and they have to be done right now. They can't wait another moment, let alone another day, so that we can slow down enough to have a Sabbath and allow ourselves to rest in the presence of Almighty God. The remaining time that we have together, I want to study one passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 10, I'll throw it up on the screen as well. But we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. If you've been in the church world, it's a passage of Scripture you've probably heard a lot. It's the story of Mary and Martha. And if you're a Martha, every time this comes up, you hate it. Because it's like you're looking at yourself in the mirror. But it's something that illustrates so well for us how busyness, how doing affects our relationships, and then in turn affects our intimacy with God. Read along with me if you could. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
See, busyness comes in all kinds of different forms and fashions. But in particular in this season between Thanksgiving and Christmas where we get so wrapped up, it often begins with good intentions. Look at verse 38. It says, A woman named Martha opened her home to him. See, without knowing the whole story, it sounds so nice. Martha was the hostess of the mostest. She was being hospitable. Maybe she was the first century precursor to Martha Stewart. Sorry, bad joke, sorry. <laughs> she is one of those women who pays attention to all of the details, the accessories. Does that sound like any of you this past Thanksgiving? I imagine as I put myself in the situation that she set out her base, best placemats that she had handcrafted with the hair of a yak. And she's so excited to show them off. Martha, in this story, she's not wicked. She's not evil. She's gracious. She's like so many of us here. See, in the text, it began with good intentions. In the same way, the obligations that you get yourself into and I get myself into all start with good intentions. Maybe for you, it started with good intentions in your marriage, good intentions in your career, good intentions with your children, good intentions with your schooling, good intentions in whatever area that you wanted to volunteer. Maybe this Christmas season you have good intentions of handcrafting a special something for every single person on your Christmas list. Maybe you have good intentions of doing things differently, but good intentions add up and add up and add up and pile up, and good intentions can actually start to become distractions. And that's what I see from this passage, because that's exactly what happened to Martha, is she got disrailed by lesser distractions. In verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had, I love that word, had to be made. She was distracted by all of the the preparations that had to be made. See, it's so interesting here. Imagine yourself in the situation here. Martha is so busy doing and being that she misses out on being with Jesus. Her sister is being with Jesus. It says at his feet, I add any chips and dip because she's enjoying Jesus. Um, But she was in there so busy with the wrong priorities. And see, these distractions keep us from making that which is the most important our priority. See, I can't tell you how many times I've said this, and I'm sure you've said this as well. I have to do this right now. Only to find out afterwards, I didn't have to do it. Somebody else could have done it as good or even better than I could have. See, Martha was busying herself while Jesus was right there in her midst. She was busy getting food and preparing everything, but this was Jesus. Jesus, the guy that went 40 days without eating. The same guy that turned water into wine. The same guy that took a loaf of bread and turned it into hometown buffet. This was Jesus. Why? Why did she have to get so wrapped up in all the distractions and miss out on the most important thing? And that's the exact same thing that we do in this season. We get distracted with our good intentions. We get distracted with all of these things that aren't a priority. That we miss out on the whole reason why we have this moment in our calendar and why we celebrate the Christmas season. And see what happens after we go from distractions is we get distracted and then pressure and pity soon follow after. 
You can hear it in her voice when she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this stuff by myself? You can read it right there. Lord, don't you care? See, the scriptures don't tell us what her boiling point was. It doesn't say whatever it was, it took her over the edge. Maybe she was lifting up a pot and there was another pot in there and it fell under her appetizer plate. Maybe she started hearing the dogs barking. Maybe all the disciples were there and were asking for refills and she thought it was like Denny's Damascus style. I don't know what it was. But whatever it was, it became so overwhelming to her that she moved to a pity party. And she snapped. By the way, when you get to that place, that's usually a sign that you have no margin in your life. It's usually a sign that you are way too busy. That you have no emotional reserves to draw when something goes wrong. When you say and do things that relationally are wounding. You believe the lies that so many people hear. That no one is helping me. Nobody understands how difficult it is for me. Or the one that so many people believe and live by. If it's going to be done right, I have to do it myself. And as a result, we want people to join our pity party rather than taking the focus off of ourself and putting it outward. And here's where it gets so relationally ugly. Watch this. After pressure and pity, resentment arrives very quickly right after. You can almost hear it in her voice. Tell her to help me. It's as if Martha was saying, Jesus, if Mary was more like me, if Mary was more like me, the task-oriented one, you would have your beard trimmed, your feet would have been washed, and we could be sitting there watching, dancing with the Samaritans. (laughs) Everything would be better if she was more like me. But resentment is a clear sign that there has been damage done to your heart. And see, when damage is done to your heart, resentment resides right there. And a heart that is full of resentment is a heart that is hard, has a hard time enjoying the moment, let alone finding the blessings in your life. A resentful heart becomes an inward-focused heart. And a heart that has that limited bandwidth has a hard time being able to worship openly and freely the God that loves you so much. So here's what I see from this passage that Jesus wants us to get so clearly. Busyness is a choice. You say, you decide what you say yes to and what you say no to. In this Christmas season, I think we say yes to way too many things. We say yes to more. Yes to more shopping. Yes to more parties. Yes to more commitments. Yes to what we think other people want us to say yes to. And as a result, with too many yeses, we don't enjoy anything. But when we look at God's love letter, when we look at His Word, when we look at His top ten list, what He really wants us to do is say no to the things of this world and say yes to His way of living and say yes to intimacy with Him. To say no to the things that are pulling us away. And say no to the things that are keeping us from taking a Sabbath. Because there's nothing fancy about a Sabbath. It's so clearly spoken in the scripture. For six days you shall work. And on the seventh day you shall slow down enough 
to be able to rest and allow your cup to be refilled by God Almighty. But what we do, especially in this Christmas season, is we view that seventh day as the day to go shopping, the seventh day to catch up on everything else, when in reality, it should be the first day, the most important day of our week. Because when we spend time with God and allow Him to focus our hearts and our minds on the meaning for this whole season, all of a sudden it's not so stressful, all of a sudden it's not so overwhelming, and all of a sudden the voice of our culture isn't quite as loud as in your ear as God's love is in your heart. So what does this Christmas season look like for you? Is this one that is full, chock full of events and parties and shopping and decorating and desserts and busyness? And is that really what God wants for this season or any season of your life? And as we take a step back, what things have you made into idols in your life? What needs to change so that your attention and your focus can be put on the one who deserves all of your worship? In what areas of your life? In what ways are you struggling with contentment? In what ways do you have this desire for more when what God's already given and entrusted you with is better than you deserve? What needs to be cut out? Or how can you look at the blessings in your life differently? And finally, what have you said yes to that maybe you need to say no to today? Has busyness already taken over this Christmas season for you even before it's begun? And how can this Christmas season be different for you so that you can focus in on the true meaning for the season, that being Jesus Christ? Will you join me in prayer? God, as I think about my life, God, there are times that I make idols out of things that don't glorify you. And as I think of this Christmas season, God, it, it's so easy to get wrapped up in what we view as the necessities of the moment, the decorating, the parties, the celebrations, the presents, the wrapping, the this, that, and the other. But God, that is so far from your heart. And so, Father, I pray that even now as, as we gather and praise you, as we gather and, and we sit in your presence right now, God, show us the areas of our lives where, God, we've made idols. And, Father, in a culture that values more, in a culture that is bombarding us with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to buy, to purchase, to consume, Father, help us to see the ways in our own individual lives where we struggle with contentment. And God, even as I stand here before my friends, I, I think of some that are, are wrestling with the idea of buying a new car, but yet their car is absolutely perfect. For others that are, are thinking of buying a, a, a new house, but yet their home is safe, secure, and home. For others, God, that, that feel like today after church they need to go out and, and, and buy a, another outfit. Maybe God help them to see their closet at home. And God, for those that, that look at their bank account or think of their wallet right now and, and feel as though, God, you don't entrust them with enough. God, I pray that in this Christmas season you help them to be wise stewards with what you've entrusted them with. 
God, I pray that for every single one of us, you will open up our hearts and open up our minds to the affluence that we experience here in this culture and this society, to see how truly blessed we are by you. And Father, as I think back to this past week of Thanksgiving and, and all the busyness that entails a time of gratitude, God, as we roll right into Christmas and New Year's, I pray, God, for each one of my friends as they make commitments, that, God, before they instinctively say yes, that, God, that they will take a step back and say, God, is this the best use of that time? And, God, for those that are in sin today, that are in sin that, that have not taken a Sabbath, I pray, God, that you will prick their spirit in such a way that they'll slow down. Slow down, God, so that they can hear your still, soft voice speaking into their heart and into their lives. And Father, as we think about this Christmas season, our world has hijacked it. Our world has said that it's about Santa Claus and presents and getting more. But God, I thank you that you've called those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ to look differently than the world. And so Father, I pray for boldness. I pray for boldness on the part of every single one of us to do Christmas differently, to turn Christmas upside down and look at it from a whole different perspective. And not just look at it, but live in a whole different way so that, God, those in our family, those that we work with and our friends will see, wait a minute, there's something different about them. There's something different about how they do this Christmas thing. And that, God, we will have the boldness to share that it's about Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so, Father, this Christmas season, help us to make the most important the important. And God, help us to see those distractions for what they are. And God, may this Christmas be completely different for each and every one of us as we make your name famous right here in Stockton and to all the ends of the earth. We love you in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.